welcome to the John Brown University Chapel Podcast, recorded in the historic Cathedral of the Ozarks in Salem Springs, Arkansas. This week's chapel speaker was Keith Jagger. Dr. Jagger is the university chaplain at John Brown University. Good morning. You guys are so awesome. I was like, okay, this is like gonna be midterms chapel. We're like, people are gonna be gone on fall break early. And here you are clapping during the music. That's incredible. That's awesome. Um, and if I had a gold star sticker to give every one of you, I would today. Well done being here. I think I still owe someone a gold star sticker from last year. Yeah, okay. So don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Well, it's wonderful to be together with you guys this morning as your midterms uh, launching out this weekend for your fall break. I'm praying for you, uh, for your safety, also for some good rest and some good times. So um, see you on the flip side. For today in chapel, we're halfway through the semester. That means we're halfway through the Gospel of John. Um, there are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and today we'll have covered the end of chapter 11. So that means 10 more chapters to go after we're back. But whereas the first 11 chapters, the first half of John covers nearly three years of Jesus's life, that is, we're gonna hear over the course of the book of John about three Passovers, so those are yearly festivals. Whereas the first half of John covers nearly three years, the last half of John, the last 10 chapters, cover one week the last week of Jesus' life. And so, uh, along with the Gospel of Mark, if you read Mark from a 30,000-foot view and read John from a 30,000-foot view, those two Gospel writers have chosen to devote half, nearly half of their Gospels to the last week of Jesus' life. And so they together agree that um, that last week is crucial for us to know, not just the, the cross, but the, the teaching, the encounters of the last week, the resurrection, um, John is going to devote half of his time, that is, to Jesus' last courage, uh, his final blessing over his people, and his road to the empty tomb. But today, we're in John 11, which is kind of the finale of season one. I don't know, to me it feels like the Gospel of John has two seasons. It's like a mini-series that goes over the course of two years, or two seasons, like a TV show. And so uh, we get a, a real cliffhanger, a real dramatic cliffhanger at the end of the, 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 the first season, the season finale today. And then when we get back, it's almost as if we're starting a whole new season of the series up. Um, but today, Jesus is going to... Um, resurrects his good friend Lazarus. And as I'm going to run through the story for us today to, to get through the, the goodness of the story. But I felt like today what might be a, a good time as I was reading the scripture, praying over them, I was thinking that it might be a good time to pull out two really practical points for our everyday lives, two really relevant things that come from this story. So it's, a, it's an old story. It's an ancient story. It's a crucial story. But there are some nuggets in here that I was really caught by when I was prepping for this. So the first one being that Jesus loved Lazarus and this little family that he was part of, his sisters, Lazarus. And the second one being that um, we can learn a little bit about healing prayer from this encounter. And so the, the, the book, the, the story isn't necessarily about these things directly, um, but we can learn a lot from, from the scriptures and they do speak to us in those ways today. So let's jump in. Now, 
A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her, sis and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, the place where Jesus was at the time was across the Jordan River. Uh, we know from many, many accounts in the Gospels that this was the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing people early on. Now, John the Baptist has been beheaded by this point in the life of Jesus, and so Jesus goes back there um, before he goes into Jerusalem for his final week. And it's not that he's just alone there praying. People are still coming to him at that place for prayer, for teaching, for healing. Uh, but it seems like Jesus has done all he's able to do in public by this point. He's um, kind of annoyed the, the ruling class enough to where it's not safe for him to be out in the open. He's said enough things against the Pharisees that it's no longer safe for him to be out in the open. He can no longer, longer have a public ministry. So he goes across the Jordan, a place that's a little further out of reach from the Jerusalem elite. Uh, and so he's there, the, the storm is coming. He knows that, that if he goes back in public again, it's gonna be the last time. And so he's timing it just right towards the Passover. All the expectations of Passover, the time when God can rescue his people from unbelievable oppression, the time where uh, God can come and do unbelievable things that, that, that we could never imagine. This is the Passover memory time. All the, the Jewish people were thinking about the Exodus and what God can do in, um, in the face of great, great power. And so Jesus is timing his return just right. Um, and he gets the word at this place, a two days journey away, someone comes to him with this message, Lord, the one that you love is ill, from Mary and Martha. And so the people who have walked to Jesus have found him, have already taken two days. Lazarus is ill, it's not looking good for him. His sisters say, Jesus, we need you. You gotta be here for this because you can fix this. And so these people walk two days to find Jesus, not knowing what's happened behind them. Um, and Jesus gets the message and he stays two more days in the place where he was. So he's gonna show up to the situation late. But the interesting thing about this, this passage as it gives to us, it does say that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus has come in his own, his own sense of vocation, his own sense of calling. He's come to show the world the Father's love. That's his mission, to show the Father's love. And it's not a love that's just a kind of nice feeling, but it's a love which is something which is pursuing, a kind of love which pursues his children, a kind of love which doesn't leave his children alone and in the dark. And so he comes to express this love. And we know that Jesus, uh, 
you know, loved all of his disciples. But you do get a little window in this story that Jesus really loved this little family. And I wonder why, you know, we don't, we're not told exactly why. What's this special love about? The, the letter he gets is the one you love, Lazarus is ill. Um, I think, you know, this little family doesn't, they don't show up a lot in the gospels, but there is one previous story that John doesn't record. It's in the gospels, the, the synoptic gospels, that when Jesus was in a certain town, Bethany, his first time through, Mary, Martha, Lazarus opened his home, opened their home to him. And then later, Mary is the one that's going to take her hair and anoint Jesus's feet with oil. And so, I don't know, I think Jesus, Jesus left his home. It wasn't the, the greatest place for him to be, apparently, with, with his mother, his brothers who really didn't believe in him. He was the oldest brother. He left. His siblings didn't believe, believe him when he launched out in his ministry right away. And so here's this little family who really loved Jesus. They were hospitable to him. They opened their home wide. I don't know if you guys have any people in your life that aren't your family, but you're more at home in their home than you are in your home. I hope you have that. And it seems like Jesus got that, got a little taste of that in his life. A place of safety, a place where he was believed, a place where he was embraced. Uh, and so this group of siblings welcomed Jesus into their space and really loved on him. And so when he hears that Lazarus is ill, of course, he's going to be concerned. But the scriptures say that he stayed behind. So he arrives something like six days later. And this is, this is how the story continues. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he died. The illness led to, led to death, apparently. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. And Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the last day at the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were in the house with her, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews 
came with her also weeping. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. These siblings must have had a quirky relationship. I mean, there's one who was a busybody who wanted to make sure all the things were provided for, who had a high sense of responsibility. The other one was a little aloof, kind of her head was in the clouds. And Lazarus, we don't know much about other than that, that they must have loved him dearly. And so you have this little collection of siblings um, that, that, the Lord, that the Lord loved. And the relationship between siblings in this verse isn't insignificant. I think. Um, I don't know if you all have siblings. Many of you do. Um, but we are, we are put into family units by the Lord. Uh, and, those, and the faith of those family units are no small thing. And I think that one of the things that I see here um, in this verse is that when, when Lazarus died, his sisters took the action to bring his case and his needs to Jesus. Um, and when Jesus heard, he came and he's going to do something miraculous. Now, sometimes we think of faith as an individual thing. And when we get to the, 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 the last day, when we're all looking Jesus face to face, of, of course, at the end, the scriptures tell us it's going to be an individual thing. Our life will be laid bare before all. We'll see everything as we that maybe have never seen it. We will see ourselves as we've never seen it fully, which is going to be a beautiful and probably terrifying moment. And we're going to see everyone else with a clear eye. The great last judgment is the great revealing of all truth and who we are and who we've been. And in that moment when we're staring Jesus face to face, our response to Jesus is going to be everything that matters. It's an individual thing at the end, but we're not individuals on the way there. And do you remember the story where a couple friends found a, um, a way to Jesus? They had a person, a friend of theirs, who couldn't walk. And so they put him on a stretcher and brought him to a home. And there were so many people there, they couldn't get this friend to Jesus. And so they walked up on the roof and started digging through the dirt and the, the thatch of the roof. And they lowered him down with ropes to, to the center place where Jesus was with all these important people surrounding him. And when Jesus smiles and sees this human being coming in through the roof, Jesus says, your friend's faith has made you well. Not your faith, their faith has made you well. When we hear about baptisms in the New Testament, a person comes to believe in Jesus, the whole household gets baptized. Faith is a family affair. And some of you have siblings that are stronger in their faith than you are. Some of you have siblings that have a rock solid faith or expressing their faith in a profound way, but you, you're not quite sure about it. You're not, you're not in the same place they are. I'm not saying their faith saves you, but I'm saying you can lean on their faith in a time of trial and struggle. Now, some of you are living out your faith right now, and some of you are doing your best and trying to figure out what that means for you, and you have siblings that are far away from God. Don't underestimate your faith and your role in their life. And I'm not talking about just coming home on, the, on, on fall break and being, being an ex extroverted evangelist in your home. I'm not talking about that alone. That might be the right time for that. You might choose to do that. But I'm talking about your prayers, your ongoing uh, petitions to the Lord. The way you lift up your siblings to, in prayer to God is no small thing. Your faith matters for them. So at the end of the day, I think I'm just inviting us to pray for our siblings. 
wherever they may be, whoever they are. Um, let the love which may pulse under the frustration and the annoyance, let that love underneath that become prayers for your siblings. Now, the second thing that I wanted to focus on today is that Jesus says the sickness that Lazarus had is not one that leads to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This is a really interesting moment, a really interesting thing to say. The, new, the early Christians knew about healing prayer. They knew about the kind of encounter with Jesus that results in dramatic healing. And they continued that tradition on in their communities. I, I would want to say to us today that if we are interested in healing prayer, and, and we should be because prayer is healing, that we, we need to do a good work of learning the New Testament's teaching on healing prayer. Because at the end of the day, healing prayer is all about discernment discerning what is causing an illness. And in particular, Jesus said, I've discerned that this illness is not gonna, not gonna end in death. What that means though, is that there are illnesses which do lead to death. And when Jesus teaches about resurrection here, he's not just gonna say, I'm gonna come in and this illness on Lazarus, which is not gonna lead to death. I'm gonna come in and say, you don't just have to hope in the, the end, I'm gonna do some work right now. But he's also saying, for the work that doesn't get completed right now, for the illnesses which do lead to death, you can trust in a deeper healing that's coming, pulsing through creation. Now, I've, I've encountered healing prayer a few times in my life. Um, I went to a church when I was in high school. I was dating a girl. I thought it would be impressive to go to her Pentecostal church. I was a Catholic kid, so I was like, I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> um, but the second time I was at the church... I can't describe it to you, but I had a pain in the right part of my brain when I was worshiping, and the whole left side of my body was numb. I never experienced anything like that before. And I told her dad that, and her dad got some guys out, and they prayed over me in the aisle right there, right then, and the numbness went away immediately. It was like, what was that? And then I went and told my parents about that, and they, they took me to the doctor, I got an MRI. <laughs> 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 Nothing there, that was good, that was good. Um, but in seminary, I went up to a healing prayer moment at seminary where there were some professors who specialized in healing prayer, and I went up to pray because I was having heart issues, like my heart was beating fast, and it was, sometimes it was off of, beat, off, off of, of uh, rhythm, and I went up and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of tightness in my chest, can you pray for me? And he said, yeah, I will, but can I ask you a question first? And I said, yeah. I said, how anxious are you right now? And I said, I'm very anxious. It's probably midterms or something. I don't know, I was, I was anxious. And he's like, I'll pray for you. And he put his hands on my shoulders. He asked permission. I said, yeah. He put his hands on my shoulders and he prayed for my heart. But then he prayed for my, in my anxiety. Um, and I guarantee that that is exactly the, the kind of prayer I needed. I need to pray for that anxiety the most. And I didn't experience immediate healing, but his prayer taught me to look at something I wasn't ready to look at. There are sicknesses that lead to death, however. And um, in our prayer, our approach to prayer needs discernment as we pray for people, as we encounter them and their, their woundedness and their, their hurt. 
Um, we do need to approach with the kind of prayer which ultimately asks God for the world. I mean, it's okay to be next to someone who's hurting and ask for the world for them. And oftentimes I pray, Jesus, as their brother in Christ, I just, I want complete healing. I want, I want them to experience something like an unbelievable healing that we can never imagine according to your will. Because I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the God, God's plan is. Um, and of course that prayer will get answered someday in the, the, the distant and maybe hopefully near future when all are resurrected at the last day. Um, but lean, lean into healing prayer, guys. Find discerning people. If you find people, a person who's going to pray for your healing and it's going to feel a little coercive and a little manipulative, you thank, thank them and walk away from that. But you can find all sorts of people, and I, I will love to pray for you if you need it, uh, need healing or, or pray over anxiety. I'll pray over you today or in my office or on the quad. Just stop me. Uh, but find people in your life who will pray for you with courage and who will love you with a sibling kind of love. So this is the end of John season one. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the John Brown University Chapel Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Have a